0: In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. By my count, there are at least six ordained priests with us this morning, which is a lot. (laughs) And I say at least because sometimes priests show up incognito, and I don't actually know that they're here. Um, There's at least six priests with us this morning. I'm sure every priest uh, here has had this experience. I have a sermon in front of me uh, that i 'm not quite sure uh, says what it is that I actually want to say this morning uh, at the first service i 'm really under a time crunch at this service i 'm not under the ta- a time crunch, and the dolphins don 't play till eight twenty so we 're going to make uh, the bucks play win uh, 4.25. okay four twenty five so four o 'clock that 's our end point now. Um, You have all heard, I am sure, about the apostle Doubting Thomas, but this morning I want to talk to you about Doubting John, specifically Doubting John the Baptist. This isn't, I think, a passage that we talk about very often, but here we see in Matthew 11 that even John had doubts about Jesus' ministry and his identity. Let me point out to you, in case you missed it, because I think if we're not paying attention, uh, maybe we don't kind of hear what was exactly said. Let me point your attention back to the second and third verse of Matthew 11. Now, when John heard in prison about the deeds of the Messiah, he sent word by his disciples and said to him, said to Jesus, are you the one who is to come or shall we look for another father? I don't know why this isn't changing. Can you change it? Thanks. This is John John the Baptist, the forerunner of the Lord, and he is asking if Jesus is the one to if he's the one to come if he's the one they've been waiting for, or if they should be looking for someone else this is John the Doubting Baptist. That John would doubt who Jesus is is both remarkable and surprising. John is often said to be a cousin of Jesus. Uh, That's not entirely true. We use the word cousin today in a very specific way. Your cousins are the children of your parents' siblings um, that is not how the word was used in older English. Uh, that usage is kind of an innovation. Uh, if you look through Shakespeare, Shakespeare used the word cousin to describe all kinds of different familial relationships. So when the King James Version came to translate Luke one thirty-six, which talks about Mary being the cousin of Elizabeth, here translated relative, um, they translate this word, sungenesis, uh, sungenesis, genis, Um as cousin, because the word just means family, and that's how it was used in in sort of older English. Uh, and so we've often had this notion that Mary and Elizabeth were cousins, and that John and Jesus were therefore cousins or second cousins or something like that. But that's not what the verse says. The ESV gets it right. We're only told that Mary and Elizabeth were relatives. We don't know how close they actually were genetically. Uh, We don't know how close they were biologically, but that doesn't really matter because the point of this story when Mary and Elizabeth meet is not really about their familial relationship. The point of this story is what happens when the baby in Elizabeth hears the voice of the mother of our Lord. As Mary is approaching Elizabeth, the baby inside Mary, John the Baptist, I'm sorry, the baby inside Elizabeth, John the Baptist, hears the voice of Mary and he leaps in her womb. That, That child who has a baby in the womb leapt at the voice of the mother of our Lord. That child now doubts. That child now wonders if He should be looking for someone else who is to come. And it's not just that John leapt in the womb of his mother. All the Gospels make the point repeatedly that John is the voice crying in the wilderness. He is the one who announces that the exile is over, that God is at last returning back to his people. All four of the Gospels say this is the guy, this is the voice crying in the wilderness. Prepare the way for the Lord. Even in our passage this morning, Jesus is faced with John's doubt, right? He sends his disciples, they tell him what John says. Even in that context, Jesus doubles down on this identity. He says, this is he of whom it is written, behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare the way before you, will prepare your way before you. That's not... Isaiah 40, that is Malachi 3.1. Malachi 3.1 is developing Isaiah 40, verse 3. Uh, And if you're interested in that, I I know uh, an excellent dissertation that has a whole section about the relationship between Malachi 3.1 and Isaiah 43. Um, But Jesus is doubling down on this. John is the messenger despite his doubts. And yet that messenger the forerunner, the voice crying in the wilderness. He's doubting. He's doubting Jesus. Are you really who I thought you were? It's not just that John is a relative of Jesus and leapt in his mother's womb. It's not just that he is the forerunner of the Lord and points the way to Jesus. He is the one who sees Jesus coming towards him and says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. We've talked about this in our adult ed class. I think John is going directly back to Genesis to the sacrifice of Isaac and Abraham telling Isaac, God will provide for himself a lamb. John says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That guy who saw Jesus walking towards him and said that that guy is now doubting do you ever doubt yeah me too do you ever look at the way the world is today the way your life is today and say, is this story really true? Is the Bible really true? Is Jesus truly who he said he was? Is the kingdom of God really here amidst all this muck and filth and decay? If you've ever had doubts, you're in good company. We've already got Thomas on our side. Now we've got John the Baptist as well. And I'm certain there are plenty more. Because we as Christians live by faith. But the opposite of faith is not doubt. The opposite of faith is certainty. Because we live by faith and not by certainty... There will always be room for doubt in the Christian life. There will always be room for the Johns and Thomases of this world. But let's look for a moment at why John doubted. Look at verse 2 again. Now, when John heard in prison about the deeds of the Messiah, he sent word by his disciples. The reasons that John doubts are probably twofold. First, he's in prison. And his relative, the Messiah, the Lord, hasn't come to set him free. This might sound a bit odd to us, but if you were paying attention in our readings this morning, uh, you, you heard it quite clearly. There is a constant refrain throughout the Old Testament that when God finally acts, he will do what for prisoners? Set them free. And here's John, the last of the prophets, the forerunner of the Lord, the voice crying out in the wilderness, a relative of Jesus Christ, and he's sitting in prison. Second, Matthew says that John heard about the deeds of the Messiah, about the things that Jesus was doing. I suspect that what he hears Jesus is doing doesn't quite match up with what he thought the Messiah should be doing. It is a constant theme throughout all the Gospels that whatever notions there may have been on the ground in the first century about what the Messiah was supposed to do, Jesus frankly does the opposite of that at every turn right he seems to be intentionally contradicting their expectations about what the messiah was supposed to do so i think faced with these two reasons we can see that john's reason for doubting is not far fetched it's not uncommon his life isn't going the way he thought it would. Jesus isn't doing for him the things that he thought he would. And not just that, Jesus isn't doing at all the things that he thought he would. Here's what this says to me, especially when I see it sort of on the lips of John the Baptist, the the greatest of the Old Testament prophets, the forerunner of the Lord, the voice crying in the wilderness. It says to me that our doubts often come from our preconceived notions of who Jesus is or who Jesus is supposed to be rather than from who he actually is. Let me say that again because I think I got it wrong. Our doubts often come from our preconceived notions of who Jesus is supposed to be, who we think he's supposed to be, rather than from who he is. John had ideas about what the Messiah was supposed to be doing. Jesus wasn't doing them. We often have ideas about what the Messiah should be doing in this world, about what the kingdom of God should look like in this world. And when we don't see those things happening, especially when we don't see them happening for us, we might start to wonder if our faith is misplaced. We might doubt. But note what Jesus says. Go and tell John what you see, what you hear, and what you see. Jesus says, pay attention to what I'm doing. Don't come to me with your preconceived notions. Don't come to me with your expectations and plans of who I'm supposed to be for you and what I'm supposed to be doing in this world. Come to me and watch. Come to me and listen. See what I do. Hear what I say. And then you will know. You'll know. He continues in the next verse The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, and the dead are raised up, and the poor have good news preached to them. So often, you know, when you spend a lot of time in higher education, you have to make arguments and sometimes people disagree with those arguments. Then you have to defend those arguments, right? Um, My brain is kind of hardwired to prove myself right. (laughs) Um, Jesus is faced with his forerunner. (laughs) Doubting, wondering if he's really the guy. And what he doesn't say to John is John, here are the Old Testament passages that prove that I am who I say I am. Here are the passages about the Messiah that I fulfilled. Here are the prophecies about the coming of the Lord that i fulfilled. Here are the ontological, here are the, the arguments for uh, my deity, for the existence of God, whatever. He doesn't lay out proper argument to defend who he is. What he says instead stuns me. He says, tell John that the world is being Remade. That people are being healed. He doesn't talk about himself. He doesn't talk about his identity. He just says, "Look, look at what's happening." The blind receive their sight. The lame walk. Lepers are cleansed. The deaf hear. The dead are raised up. And the good, the poor, have good news preached to them. I wish, I wish, nearly every day that the world was already fixed that the world was already made new, that it was already made right. And while I believe strongly that the kingdom of God is at work in this world, because I am such a finite creature, it is nearly impossible for me to comprehend the historical arc of the kingdom of God at work in this world. It has been going on for at least 2,000 years. And I, I see a tiny window of it. Because I can only see such a small part of this redemptive arc. I can't even imagine what the whole thing looks like. And I can't even imagine what the world would look like today without the kingdom of God in it. So sometimes we doubt. We don't know what the world would look like without Jesus, without the Holy Spirit, without the church, because we see such a small fragment of human history in our finite temporary lives. But do you know what I cling to in those moments of doubt and confusion? I cling to the places where I see the kingdom of God at work in this world. I cling to the places where I see Jesus Christ working in this world. I cling to the reports from the trailer parks. I cling to the reports that we have, through, or the, the opportunities we have throughout the week to feed those who are hungry, to buy clothes for those who have none, to, to provide a bed for the Son of Man who has nowhere to lay his head. Those are the places where Jesus Christ and his kingdom are at work in this world. And if you are doubting, if you are wondering, if all of this is for naught, I invite you to look and listen. Set your eyes and your ears upon our King who is coming soon. Read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest the things that he has said and the things that he has done. Do not come to him with your preconceived notions of who he is supposed to be. Just watch and listen. Both to what he did and to what he is still doing in this world. Go to the places Where the hungry are fed, where the naked are clothed, where the sick are cared for. And if you will watch, listen, and serve, then you will know. You'll see it with your own Eyes. The kingdom of God is at work in this world through the hands and feet of his people, and you'll know that Jesus is everything he said he is. He is the one who was to come, and he is the one who is to come again, and he is at work in this world to make all things new and if you're doubting just watch and listen Maranatha come Lord Jesus Amen